Galab Wanagasan, everyone. Welcome to the 17th episode of our podcast, Why is the World? Uh, I'm the host, Miles, <laughs> and with me is my sidekick host, Sevi. Hi, everyone. So this podcast, we aim to introduce you to different cultures, areas, and debates from across the world um, and empathize with those cultures. So what are we talking about today, Miles? Today, we're going to be talking about a place called Somaliland, uh, a fascinating place. And we'll be answering the question. Sorry, I just need to remind myself of the question. Uh, Why is Somaliland peaceful? Don't worry, I had it in the bag all the time. Now, if you haven't heard about Somaliland or you haven't heard of peace, then we'll be describing all of that. Don't worry. Um, You don't need to do any previous research. We'll be uh, attempting to go from the off. Do you have any preconceived notions about Somaliland, Miles? Um, Yes, I had a few. Um, So I knew it existed, which is a a good start. (laughs) And I knew a bit about the history in relation to my own country, perhaps, through my own research. It's not something we're taught about in school at all. Uh, Did I know it was peaceful? No. I didn't know it was peaceful. Is it peaceful? I don't know either. We'll find out. I feel like you kind of gave Um, that away, but... Sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe slightly, but uh, the important bit is why. That's true. That is true. That is the question. Um, and it's also about finding out about people from Somaliland. Maybe you'll bump into someone from Somaliland on the street. And uh, I think it's quite a common thing if you meet someone from Somaliland, they, they won't really know what to say because most people don't know what Somaliland is. They'll probably just say Somalia and it's not a true reflection of them as a person so when you've listened to this episode you can say ah but is it Somaliland and then they say yes and you'll make their day so I like I I, when you said Somaliland I'm like oh Somalia and I like look it up and I'm like oh no like it's it it it, it's technically within Somalia based on current borders but it's not Somalia and we'll go into that more and that was my own like bias right I was like oh like you mean Somalia, Miles? It's like no, and unfortunately, like that, you don't want to say that to someone from Somaliland. It's kind of rude, um, um, but I, it probably happens to them a lot because people don't know about Somaliland. So let's change that, Miles. Yep. Okay, all us and our one listener. Thousands of listeners. <laughs> Hundreds, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so what is Somaliland? Uh, so I've just got here. It is a self-declared autonomous republic. Um, that tells you a little bit about it. So, um, Sevi, do you want to tell us where it is? Yeah, no, definitely. So, the Horn of Africa, which is basically the right-hand side of Africa, or the east, um, you kind of have, like, this horn that kind of juts out, um, and Somalia uh, takes up that whole horn. It kind of, like, swoops up from the bottom and then also uh, goes up the side, um, up, like, right beneath the Gulf of Aden. So, just south of the Gulf of Aden is Somali... Uh, land and and technically part of bigger Somalia and then it also like goes down and kind of like arcs diagonally um, to the south west um, and back and down towards like the bottom of Africa so you lost me slightly on that okay sorry Uh, to me Somalia kind of looks like a seven yes okay and you're saying the top part sort of like that flatter part of the seven that is bordering on that goes up to sort of the Red Sea. Is that the Gulf of Aden, or is it the 
east of it that's the Gulf of Aden. So it's just to the north of that, like the the just above the top of the seven is that Gulf of Aden. And yes, it connects to the Red Sea there as well, but it doesn't connect. It connects through other countries, not through um, Somalia or Somaliland um, within that. Mm-hmm. And then technically Somaliland, everything north of that is the Gulf of Aden. Um, it's not on the ocean of the Pacific on the, or the, sorry, not the Pacific, the Indian on its uh, coast. So you're, so Somaliland is this small area on the north part of that seven. Yeah. So it's not the whole top of the seven, but it's like the left side of the top of the seven. And then so how the, far along the seven does it go? Like about halfway. So, and then the other half of the top of the seven is called Puntland, and it actually comes down the seven a little bit as well. Um, And we'll talk about Puntland a little bit more later. And then the bottom of the seven is what is technically considered like Somalia, um, with the capital of Somalia is there, Mogadishu. Um, And uh, that's kind of, that's where a lot of the Somalia government and like people uh, would consider themselves. And then again, like Somalia, it thinks the whole seven is Somalia. Um, so in Mogadishu, like you talk to the president, they're like, oh no, it's, we're, all, we're all Somalia. But we'll get into why that is less true soon. So the area size of Somaliland is 176,000 kilometers squared, mm-hmm. which is about the same size as Tunisia or the same size as Uruguay. Okay. Um, that's about 68,000 square miles or about Washington state. So it is quite a large area. And you would look at it on a map and say, that's not large at all. But you forget like the middle of Africa, like kind of gets condensed in maps a little bit more than it should because it's by the equator. The Mercator scale. Yes, exactly. The amount of people has got 5.8 million people living in that area uh, in 2020. That's about the same as how many people are waiting for an appointment at the NHS in the UK? Let's get political. Uh, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> I, went, I went off topic a little bit there. Um, what's about six million people big? Um, so I had like Kentucky um, in the US. It, um, to give you a sense, there's about 15 million in all of Somalia. Um, so 4.5, so it's about a little under a third. Um, of the entire population. And then uh, another country is like the Republic of Ireland. Very useful, thank you. The um, The largest city in there is uh, Hargeisa, which is yeah. about 1.2 million people. Hargeisa. That's the capital and the largest city. Yeah, and that's where kind of like the center of politics and everything else is within Somaliland. It's a little bit, um, like if you think about the top of the seven analogy, God, it's such a crooked seven, but it's still a seven. Um, it's like inland uh, quite a bit. And technically, I like this. if you think about a seven, like there has to be something that goes into the seven, like another country, because the water is on the outside of the seven. So that inner country is Ethiopia. Um, and then so Somaliland also touches Djibouti um, to the northwest. And Djibouti actually used to be called to kind of like transition to the next topic, used to be called French uh, Somalia. Yes, I think it was uh, actually the French coast of Somalia was like the literal translation. Okay. I think. Um, en français? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't ruin the... Uh, ruin my, my accent. Oh, and come my on. Language, uh, Everybody <laughs> wants to hear you ruin your accent. <laughs> uh, no, not, not today. Maybe a different day. Uh, 
Right, so yes, uh, you're getting into, I guess you're getting into the history there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't we, mind we didn't chopping cover, ship. Well, we didn't cover what the topography is like, I guess, and what the, the areas uh, part, what, what it's sort of like, Somaliland. It's a mixture of wet and dry conditions, and it has a, a northern part, which is uh, hilly, and in many places, the altitude is between 900 and 2,100 meters above sea level. So it's actually a lot higher than you would naturally think, despite being next to the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and the west regions are fertile and mountainous, uh, while the inland bordering Ethiopia is um, semi-desert, which is probably what you'd expect, uh, yeah. with little little greenery around. And the northwest is... Um, known for its offshore islands, so it has coral reefs and mangroves, which um, I guess not everybody knows, but there are some beautiful coral reefs in the Red Sea. So this uh, surprised that, me that uh, considerably, because you think of you think of coral reefs, you think of mangroves, which are the trees that kind of like border coral reefs um, that are like kind of a root system, but are still like in water. Um, tech, like you think of those as in like oh the Caribbean, oh. Uh, like off coast of Australia, um, you think of like different areas like that, but there's actually quite a bit of coral reefs off the coast of Africa uh, in the Indian Ocean and along the Gulfs and like you said, the Red Sea. Um, and it is quite a, like, a, it's a thing tourists do that go to Somaliland. Uh, the coral reefs are, are stunning. Yeah, so now let's talk about the history. Yeah. So uh, that I, you asked me to do a little while ago, but uh, yeah, dodge that question. Yeah, no, hop, hop us in. So... We talked about Djibouti being kind of like the French coast of Somalia, because Somalia was kind of like technically the um, the word to describe this region uh, historically. And the Actually, people there. no, it was it was used to describe the people. the The area was part of a greater. Kind of, I, I think it was called Abyssinia, which is modern day sort of uh ethiopia but that that's we're talking quite a long time ago um it's been significant the borders have significantly changed since then and the identities too so somaliland has been a distinctive region from somalia for uh from since the late 1800s so Mm -hmm. we're talking roughly about as long as the u.s has existed existed early 1800s Oh, sorry, late 1800s. Okay, so... Miss for that. Yeah. So about as long as Germany's existed. That, that's better. Although that's not, that's, not a, that's not a great analogy because they've gone through some troubled times as well. Yeah. Um, so it was a British protectorate until 1960. Um, mm-hmm. So that means it was a dependent territory um, over which the British government exercised limited jurisdiction, mainly foreign policy sort of style yeah. stuff. Um, and that so, was called... British Somaliland. Okay, cool. That makes sense. And then, and then we had in the anglicized version, you had Djibouti next door, which is which was called French Somaliland, and then you had Somalia, which was uh, Italian governed. Yeah, Italian Somali Somalia. Yeah. It was just called Somalia, I think. But yeah, it's called Somalia now. Um. Okay. Uh, and then actually. It was an independent country, British Somaliland. Mm-hmm. Well, it became became known as Somaliland when it was independent. And that lasted for a whole five days. 
Sad. Only five days. Well, actually, you say sad because what happened was um, Italy allowed Somalia to become independent. Mm -hmm. And uh, five days after the British did with Somaliland. And then the two country, new countries said, why don't we join together? Because that sounded like a great idea because there were similar ethnicities and clans. And what a great idea. But um, maybe they regretted it after a little while. I I don't know. Um, But that's how it's sort of come to be with this current modern shape. The way I look at it is like you got these two, like they kind of became independent within each other. And so when they combine, they're like, oh, because we're like similar clans, similar history, um, both under uh, European like influence for quite a bit of time but once they came together uh there was kind of like they had different ideas on what how to move forward and i i think the other thing is because they were unique populations in like like think about the seven like there are two parts of the seven and they're like distinguished they're like kind of separated from each other um it's not like it's one like block country that's all together and as a result like putting the capital in what is now somalia I kind of, and that the political, basically what happened is there was a coup and uh, as a result of all of that, like the um, Somali, uh, the what was originally British Somaliland or Somaliland now, they started to disagree with what was like happening and that led to um, conflict. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say you... Putting yourself back into 1960, where you've got these two countries that want to go together. Mm-hmm. They've also spent about maybe, maybe 60, 70 years speaking different languages as well. Mm-hmm. That's a long time for you to actually diverge culture, cultural um, similarities. Um, so the chances that you'd be able to unify a country easily after that t- length of time is actually quite... Uh, quite hopeful shall we call it mm-hmm. if you if you take for instance east and west germany how long were they separate for it was what was it, like 20 years a bit more but yeah okay. not the same length of time as as right. these two countries here so we're talking about maybe some deep-rooted um political differences and cultural differences that have been implemented by european powers mm-hmm. which is um which is you know, we, we can't avoid colonialism in this talk, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can see the evidence of this. That may have been a significant reason for the shaping of the two distinct cultures today. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, so that this was in 1960 that they formed together as part of Somalia. And then in the 1980s, we sort of had the Somali national movement, which was a essentially a pro-Somaliland independence movement. So after about 20 years that came about, it's unknown really when they started because it was a very, uh, like a rebel group. Yeah. And then in 1991 is when they declared Somaliland's independence following the the coup of the military dictator in Somalia. Yeah. Uh, which was after or during the civil war, sorry. And then uh, another part, important part of their history that is... Um, incredibly awful is um somalia bombarded basically hargisa um and another large city burao um in somaliland um with like weapons like basically bombed the city 
and displaced and estimated 400,000 local residents to Ethiopia, um, and then another 400,000 just within the region. And that, like, I I think like the numbers are hard to like estimate exact exactly. They they estimate like between 50 and 100,000 civilians were killed. Um, by the Somalian. Yeah. I mean military. that's that's a hu- that's a that's a big number when you consider the modern population as well. If you're considering that's almost a million people, that's a sixth of modern country. But the population wouldn't have been anywhere near as big as it currently is today, back then. That's yeah. what's that's what's quite shocking about that because it's I, I can't estimate it because I don't have the numbers in front of me. But you can imagine that it's a bigger proportion of what it currently is today. And today that would be equivalent to about. 15% of the population mm-hmm. and we're talking we're talking this would have been a much bigger percentage that would have been displaced by this um, this attack yeah and the way to think about Somalia and Somaliland isn't just like like this isn't religious this isn't just political this is about clans um, it's a kind of a clan culture where there's lots of different clans um, in different areas and the main clan within Somaliland is called the Isak clan and they make up like about 80% of the Somaliland population and the idea is like they kind of unified together and uh like allowed um we'll get into this more in the question but um that was the main uh place that the Somali uh Somalia like directed their um fire um at this clan because they they're like they're responsible for like these ideas of like separation and um, also these ideas that go against our, like what we're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, there's also multiple sub clans as well with all yeah. this clan sub structure. So it, it does get complicated as well, but I'm very sure we'll talk about the clans in the question. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say, I know I said I didn't have the numbers in front of me about that displacement and the, the po- current population. I do have an indicator Somaliland's population was estimated at three and a half million in 2014. Okay. So in the six years between the data, uh, it's almost doubled. Not quite. Yeah. But uh, so there's crazy levels of uh, population increase have happened. So you can imagine how significant those attacks were back in the 19 late 80s and early 90s. So, shall we move on to a bit about the people, since you mentioned the clan? So, to get us started, like, religion, um, or actually to get us started about their, like, culture and the people there is, um, Islam and poetry have been described as the twin pillars of Somali culture, um, in Somaliland. So that kind of gives you a sense of how they think, like, what's important to them. Um, and they particularly, they, uh, subscribe to the Sunni branch of Islam. Yeah, they just click subscribe on YouTube, didn't they? They just went to find the the Sunni uh, the Sunni page. So that's click. how it works. Um, and they okay, speak yeah. Somali, Arabic, which makes sense with Islam, and then they also speak English uh, as a third language um, as a result of their roots from British Somaliland. Do you know if the English is like a business language? Is that what um, it would be useful? I think it is. You also get a sense that there's quite a... So, so one thing we haven't really discussed much is Somaliland is quite poor. Um, a, Quite a bit of their income is from remittances. And a lot of that comes from people going to English-speaking countries to, um, and sending back wealth. Yes. 
so do, do, what you mentioned having um being in poor conditions i think 40.5 percent of households have access to um water mm-hmm uh, and a third of households lie at least an hour away from their primary source of drinking water. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not great infrastructure there. Yeah. That's definitely something uh, that is being worked on as well. It is definitely being worked on, but it's um, yeah certainly lacking behind the developed world. And to give you another sense, it's like uh, unemployment, especially amongst youth, which is... The real problem is like at 75%, right? That's unemployment. So people who just aren't working. Uh, so there's not really that economic machine, quote unquote, to like try, uh, move money around and drive things. And you can see that in like the fact their lack of water, but also in uh, the working conditions or working, the lack of working, I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's uh, try and pick it up a bit and let's talk a bit about Maybe some of the other bits of the culture, they're a bit of a uh, bit of fun, I guess. Okay, so, take us away. Um, so the first thing I'll say is it's considered polite to leave a little bit of food on the plate after finishing a meal at someone else's house. So Interesting. when you're worried about whether you should leave it or not leave it, um, this is a place that you should leave it if you're being polite. I mean, if you want to be really rude like Sevi, you can just... just uh, but if I eat, eat if I eat it all, they'll give me more. Or it's considered rude. Okay, got it. If there's not enough... Yeah, got it. Okay. Because you're saying this wasn't enough. I'm saying, like, if there's enough food, then, like, it's rude because they have, like they might not have the food to fill your plate. I could be wrong about yeah, that. But, but then you're still saying you didn't give me enough. Yeah. Because I finished the plate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, another thing. This one, these set of um, gestures these are... Um, they use sweeping hand and arm gestures to dramatize speech. Many ideas are expressed through specific hand gestures. Now, I'm not going to go through all these. I'm just going to pick out a couple so we can move uh, quickly. A, a swift twist of the open hand means no or nothing. So you okay. can try that. A swift twist of the open hand. So like the hand is out facing them like stop and then you just twist it around to you. Yes. Um, it's impolite to use the index finger to call someone and point someone. That's considered, um, it's used for calling dogs. Okay. So, um, no, and so would that be extended like pointing is bad or it's more just pointing at people? I think pointing at people is okay. definitely a no. And here's the, the I was going to say the fun one. This is the one where Sevi would have trouble when, when you go on holiday to Somaliland. The American thumbs up is considered obscene okay so that's like the the bird in some ways i have i have no idea okay. I, su- I assume it's worse because i wouldn't describe that as obscene <laughs> is there anything that's obscene in your culture miles i feel like the I'm tolerance sure there is quite high or higher than most other places yeah i i, I think it would be but uh, yeah don't do a thumbs up when you go there okay that's Got considered, it. <laughs> considered bad. Um, and then I guess um, Somali men and women use henna as a dye for their hair. So that's okay. like it stains stains the hair, usually like a an ochre color or a brown color. Um, women apply it on their hair 
um, most of the time because they wear a hijab, um, whereas it's actually part of important part of Somali culture. It's worn by uh, the women on their hands, arms, feet, neck during um, women uh, during weddings, Eid, Ramadan, and other festivals. Mm-hmm. And uh, the henna designs are similar of all other um, Horn of African nations. So that's uh, a particular area where henna culture is particularly large. So this is henna in their hair. Is it also henna like on skin as well? Yeah, that's why I said on the hands, arms, feet, okay. and neck. And is it designs? Yes, so like flower motifs, triangular shapes, um, that okay. sort of thing. Palm is also frequently decorated with dots of hen- henna. Okay. And the fingertips are dipped into the dye. Uh, big henna parties are usually held before wedding ceremonies. Interesting. Uh, th- that makes me think of a question I've never thought of before. What is henna made out of? Or what is it? where does it come from? Do you know? So it's a, it's a plant, um, the, the Lawsonia inermis, which okay. is also called the henna tree, and the Egyptian privet, which gives a clue to where it originates from. And it's, it comes from the leaves, the, the henna paste, I guess, mostly powder. So it's a, a leaf, or you, the leaves, um, which when they're whole and they're unbroken, they don't stain the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, it's only when they're sort of broken from the, the leaves. So if you dry the leaves and then you uh, break it up and then you mash it into a powder or a paste if you add water to it, that's right. how... Okay. Henna is used. And paste is a good way to describe the consistency of henna if anybody hasn't uh, had it done on them or yeah. um, experienced it before. And then it will dry and it will leave the stain. You can brush the uh, And when the it dries, pa- dried paste off it's usually it like a stain. little 3D. So it like pokes up and, um, and then when it falls off, it leaves the stain. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, a famous... Somalilander would be um, Sir Mo Farah. He is a, a British Olympian. He, he races under the British flag. He's called Sir. That's uh, he's been given he's been to him. knighted. Yes, exactly. And they also in Somalia have their own currency, the Somaliland shilling. Okay, that's different for an autonomous region. Yep, it is. Okay, um, do you have any fun facts about... Uh... Yes, I'm surprised you didn't say this one. But I learned that Wales is a home to a significant Somali expatriate community um, from Somaliland. And I'm sure like lots of remittances are sent back there. But it it's just interesting that like Wales is... On a, it's not random, but it's... It's very def- similar weather, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes, the, the, the deserts of... Uh, of Africa to up to Wales. Do you know anyone in Wales who is from Somaliland? No, I've I've only met one person from Somaliland. That's one more than me, allegedly. Yeah, so as as we said, sort of at the beginning, it's quite hard to tell because someone may introduce themselves as from Somalia. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'll say like a few more things that are kind of like fit in lots of different categories. Like the government's, uh, like they spend half the government's budget on security. Um, so that kind of gives you a sense of like they want to keep 
like their peace. We'll get into that more um, within their uh, their what they describe as their borders. Um, uh, livestock is like the backbone of Somalia economy. So sheep, camels, cattle are kind of shipped around to different um, countries ar around, yeah, even across the Gulf to countries such as Saudi Arabia. And shall we hop into the question? You want to remind us what the question is, Miles? The question is, why is Somaliland peaceful? And what's the follow-up question? Uh, so we've done what is Somaliland, so that's mm -hmm. good. Why is Somaliland peaceful? So what is peace? I would say peace... And I'll just answer your question because I feel like you're asking me. Um... Peace to me is like a country where you can basically move around and participate in society without having fear for your safety. It's about safety, really. But uh, it's interesting how they measure it. So it's uh, the measurement is they, they use a global peace index, which mm -hmm. takes into account loads of different stuff. Which include... Um, Number and duration of internal conflicts, number of deaths from external organized conflict, number of deaths from internal organized conflict, duration, role, number of external conflicts, intensity of conflict, impact of terrorism, political instability, political terror, number of homicides, level of violent crime, yeah, so on, so on. Like, there's lots, lots of these categories. So it's kind um, of death caused by non-natural causes is yes, way to and, and it goes it. into things, it goes into military expenditure, number of armed uh -huh. services, personnel per 100,000, volume of transfers of major conventional weapons as suppliers per 100,000, nuclear and heavy weapon capability, ease of access to small arms and light weapons. Um, I think there's a part in, uh, likelihood of violent demonstrations, um, and there's a lot of stuff with like the political stability as well, I think. It's so, weighted quite high on this. So given all that, give us a sense of like what is on the top of this index. Like what country is the most peaceful based on the index? Iceland. Okay, that, that makes sense. I believe in Iceland we talked about how they don't have a military. Does that ring a bell? I remember we did cover about their crime. Okay. Um, but if you want to go and hear more about that, please check out our episode, uh, episode 10 why are Icelanders so healthy? Yes. A, a hint, we talk about crime in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you have all this, this large index that gets completely wrapped up into, into this, this index ranking and where Iceland tops the table, New Zealand comes in second. Um, Iceland's up the top by quite a margin, I will say. Okay. Like, um, so yeah. it's not a close second, it's a distant second, although... It's still, yeah. like, we think of New Zealand. New Zealand's still pretty peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Just to... So the distance between first and second is the same distance as second to 12th. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, so give us a sense Just of, like, where Somalia is on that index. 
So I was, I was going to say okay. what your country was and what my country was. Okay, well, we'll do that first. We'll uh, go down the list. Just to humiliate you, Sebi, because we know that uh, well, yours is going to be You you, you, you talked about military budgets within the, like, how they calculate that. Of per course it's going to be... Per hundred thousand. Still! <laughs> it's also ease of buying weapons. I can't walk into my local store. Well, it's also protests, so it's, uh, like, yeah, it, it's probably gotten worse over time. Well, not all the time. Recently, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, generally the world is getting um, less peaceful. That that was a statistic that has come out. The, the whole index has shifted uh, from 2020 to 2021. What about from like 2015 to 2020? I don't have that data available <laughs> right now. I, I'm literally asking Miles like all these data questions and he's done really well up until this point. I'm, I'm impressed. You're, you're good. <laughs> Just Let me go and specifically go and uh, do a bit of a, a half an hour's analysis on this. Uh, make my recommendations. Stretching his knowledge. Okay. Okay. UK is 33rd on the scale um, at the same sort of area as Italy and Taiwan. Okay. Can I give uh, a me... guess for US? <laughs> yes. I'll give you a clue. I'll scroll down. <laughs> wow. I never would have guessed that. Um... I'm going to, and how many, how many countries are on the list or how many places? 163. Okay, I'm going to guess like 82. America is 100. Oh God. And 22. It is. The surrounding countries are Algeria and South Africa. And Honduras. Okay. Can I just say it's behind Kenya, Papua New Guinea, Pap- Uzbekistan. Can you really compare those Kosovo. though, considering they're <laughs> so different? That's 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 what I'm trying to say. Is is please understand where this index comes from and how it's being calculated, yeah. because it may not. Some of those things probably won't impact your feeling of safety, but it it does impact the country's apparent global safety because there'll be a player in world politics for example the way i like to think about it is like the things you listed that kind of go go into the index they're very much like some of them are very safety oriented like like if there's conflict within your country from other countries coming in and like killing people right um but then there's others that are like military spending which is like yeah like that spending like maybe in, like none of that's spent in your country so you don't see it so it doesn't feel like it impacts your um your peacefulness, but like how peaceful you are still counts within that. So like the U S could be like really high on some things and low on other things. And it makes it like lower on the list, but not necessarily like you're still safer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Keep telling yourself that. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) in a hunt in 158th is Somalia. Okay. And as we've mentioned, Somaliland's not a recognized country, so it doesn't get put on this list. So we can't judge how safe it is and how peaceful it is. So wh- why do we it spend be... all this time talking about it? <laughs> Are you able to answer that? No, I, I, nah, you brought it up and it's like, if we can't put it on the scale, then why is it useful? But I think it is useful to kind of get a sense of what peacefulness is. Yeah. Now, one thing I will say is it is described as having a similar if not more peace and stability than Djibouti next door. Okay. And Djibouti is 106th on the list. 
Higher than the US. Yeah, I was about to say higher than the US. Um, okay, so the idea is maybe a good place to put it is below 106. And compared yeah. to Somalia's, you said 143? 158. 58. And you said how many are on the list? 163? Yes. Okay, so that means Somalia is the fifth worst. Yes. What's the worst? Um, the new... Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Okay. Okay. Which so, would make sense after the yeah. events of this year. So. No, it does make sense. Okay, so that I think that gives people a good perspective because it's saying like Somaliland, if it has been indeed better than Djibouti, like it's like more than halfway up the list compared to fifth worst. Like that's a gigantic jump. And I'll give a quick antidote to kind of describe that. Um, if you go to Mogadishu, the capital of Somalia, like you bring, like if you're a Westerner, like you want bodyguards, you want other people and like to help you walk the street. Cause otherwise you could be kidnapped, like, uh, like ransom, like, uh, extra, uh, have it. What's it called? Uh, when they want money, like they, they're like, we will only give you up for money. They'll kidnap for ransom. Yeah. Yeah. Basically held for ransom. Uh, there's another word that I'm forgetting. Uh, but whereas, like, it is, like, very common and, like, safe to walk around Somaliland at night by yourself as a man or in a group um, and not have any trouble. So that kind of gives you yeah, kind of a different perspective on this, like, this levels of safety. A key part of that is as a man, I think it's important just yeah. to say that the um, gender equality is not the same as in the west it's a very heavily heavily influenced by uh, islamic law mm -hmm. uh, which is understandable um because there's a lot of or well, it makes sense because there's a lot of uh, um muslims in the country very high percentage I believe so it is it is stable and we mentioned that it was poor as well if it were its own country an independent country it would be the fourth poorest country in the world yep so uh, it's estimated GDP per capita is $348. And I also got the statistic that the government budget works out to about a hundred US dollars per citizen per year. Wow. Yeah. So kind of gives you a perspective. What's the US? So in the US, it would be like $14.5 thousand dollars. Um, per citizen per year compared to a hundred yeah, significantly higher yeah like orders of magnitude several orders of magnitude higher uh, to give you a sense yeah so i guess a question now which i have the answer to um so i'm going to ask it and then answer it because um uh, as i said i'm the host <laughs> the co-host uh, the lesser co-host co you're the co-host i'm just the host <laughs> yeah host of Something. Okay, so it br it brings the question: um, Why is it still unrecognized as a country? Because mm -hmm. because we've established that it's um, stable. Uh, we haven't mentioned yet, but it is a democracy. It is, and they've actually had peaceful transition of power. Yeah, which is significantly more than the U.S. has had in the last couple of years. And our. And yes, um, and arguably a, 
a proponent of a place being peaceful is they have a peaceful transition of power because that is a large cause of conflict. Yes. And like you said, they have had a president since 2003. Um, Kahin became the first elected president and it was respected. The results were respected, which is the first big step. Um, and then when the opposition won, like it, it they were still respected um, and peaceful yes. transition occurred. Yeah, so the reason why... Uh, it's still unrecognized is that people or other countries are worried that it will set a precedent for many more um, well, that makes sense. independence movements which is what happened in Kosovo in the 90s because the West got involved and recognized Kosovo as an independent country and Russia and other countries directly um, afterwards just uh, recognized uh, South Ossetia and other countries as well um, and the sad reality is that the governments just would rather just keep everything quiet rather than necessarily recognize people and and allow them to have external relations um, in the case of uh, Somaliland which would really benefit that government's GDP where you say that everything they're getting at the moment is essentially uh, given to them rather than traded yeah and they have a huge problem from the standpoint of, let's say they uh, apply to get some funding from the international world, uh, like lots of nonprofit organizations. Like they go to fill in the box of what country they are. There is no box. There, the, it, like there isn't system set up for it. And right now the systems are set up for, for Somalia, which goes through the Somalia capital. Um, and as a result, like none to very little ends up getting to Somaliland because they are their own like independent part of the country that has its own different system uh, of of like it leads its own area right it it has not it, it's not like their representatives going back and forth yeah another uh real quick another reason that i came up with besides like they didn't want they don't want other micronations and other small uh independent areas to kind of break off within africa is um it would look really kind of bad on the us and the uk who are the principal people who are trying to bring peace to Mogadishu, the capital of somalia um they've been working there for a long time and by recognizing somaliland it's like oh like this these they've been doing it on their own and successfully this whole time this other part of the country it's like like how are these big powers unable to do this and it kind of would and that was a really interesting answer i found as well another thing that i saw uh briefly admittedly is that the western powers have sort of said it's up to the african union they mm -hmm. they will they will recognize which other what countries that the African Uni wants to represent? Union? Not yeah. Uni. Union wants to represent. Um, and the African Union doesn't want to recognize that because it will cause that splinter of so many other different um, nations of Africa that may cause a lot more instability before it recognizes stability. And for a fairly young union, uh, they have a lot of reputation on the line for delivering peace and, and their responsibility. So they don't want to uh, harm that. So let's jump into like opinions a little bit more. Like personally, I feel like Somaliland like should be recognized because in a lot of ways they have peace. They've done all this work 
um, like a lot of the clans, you talk about how their multiple clans have come together in like kind of a grassroots movement to build um, peace and to build like a, a political system that is works um, and is like most other nations. Um, and the thing that's holding them back is they're very poor and they can't kind of like get help to move up in the world. And they are a small country. It's not like they can use their own resources for it. They get most of their food from other places like Ethiopia and the United Arab Emirates. Um, but my question is, let's say the African Union, like, is it okay for the African Union to say, hey, they should be allowed to be a country or we recommend them to be their own nation? And as a result of that, like they're scared of all these other country, other regions uh, doing the same. Is it okay if those regions do the same? Is Does the world look better with a bigger Africa with more nations? Or does it look like more conflict? Ultimately, in in my opinion here, this is what you're asking for, is that having more countries... We've, we've never really spoken about this before, but the, the idea of a country is fairly arbitrary. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an imaginary line that divides two pieces of land between essentially something that really doesn't matter to the people that actually own that bit of land. Mm-hmm. You, you can, you can, so someone who lives in, um, let, let's take like the France-Germany border for now. Uh, they'd speak two different languages. You have someone that owns a field and then his neighbor or her neighbor has a field as well. But between them, there is this imaginary line. They can't see it. It's not there. Mm-hmm. Between, okay, that's actually, they're on the other side of a river, to be honest. But okay, fine. They're on, they're on either side of that. Those two people are probably fairly similar in where they shop, in what things they do with their lifestyle, with their families, their... They probably, to be honest, they probably even speak the same language because they probably need to communicate with them because they're close. That's their proximity. Mm -hmm. But they are governed outside a long way away by um, cities elsewhere. So the idea that from Berlin to Paris, you just have two distinct people that changes at that border is untrue. Mm -hmm. Humans are a lot more complicated than that and they move everywhere that causes it's more of a spectrum on the way mm-hmm. between those things. A you'll gradient. find that, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think that idea of having lots of different countries, will it works in the sense that you need you as an individual need to feel represented. That's what it comes down to. And that's why maybe maybe like Europe, you have small countries that work together as part of a union because they they identify with that they feel they are heard on mm-hmm. all the layers that they go up so someone in um let's take for example uh someone living in munich feels that they vote for things related to munich they feel that their their step up is they are represented with their roads and their um, when their bin collection is, or their trash collection, to translate to Sevi. And then... Garbage. They they would also have a say on what happens in Bavaria, which is their essentially their state. Um, and they feel that they are represented through that because Munich is a part of that. And then they will feel represented as part of Germany 
because they're part of Bavaria, which goes up to that. And then Germany feels like they are part of the European Union because they are part of that. So and what's your point? They are My point is, is that works when it's trusted. It doesn't really matter the way you do it. But where this could go wrong is if everybody does it at once, you can't build that trust with the political systems um, quickly enough. So you almost need to take it as a one, as an individual um, project to get it up to speed, to get it stable, to give people trust in the system. Otherwise, what happens is someone else rules over someone else's part without an interest of those people, yeah? So based on that, it makes me think like Somaliland already has a quite a deal of that trust already built in, and therefore it's easier for it to maybe make that step up into nationhood um, versus all these others. That doesn't mean all these others won't complain and won't like try to do it themselves too, which might create a lot of untrust and conflict later. And that's kind of what the union is worried, African union is worried about. Yes. Okay. No, What's that's, your thoughts on it? My thoughts are that I think like there are lots of, I, I, and I don't know all the other uh, autonomous regions within Africa, although we have talked about uh, Western Sahara. Um, I don't know all of them in order to understand their perspectives as well. But knowing Somaliland through getting to know it, to understand it for this episode, and about its peace, which we should get back to, um, I think it does deserve in a lot of ways to become a country. I think it would make its foreign aid um, and lots of other things easier for it um, in order to get to the next level of statehood. Whereas right now, it feels very unfair. Um, I feel very, it feels very unfair or slighted because they like have everything they need, but they just can't get to the next level um, as a result of um, their lack of investment. But then what's the viewpoint from Somalia? Are they viewing Somalilanders? You, you say, you mentioned before, um, maybe it was when we were off recording, was that they have a disproportionate amount of the of money goes to yeah um goes to somaliland so so would somalia feel that they give somalia more than um like per capita than they give themselves and as part of that they think of themselves as one people to try and encourage them to be one people do, do you see what i mean like they are yeah but they the, essentially go in debt more for an, i'm trying i'm just trying to think of it from a somalian perspective yeah and a somalian like it's a little bit unfair because like you said there's a billion about a billion dollar us dollars of money reaches somalia annually um in remittances so people spending back money to their families there um and about a half of that goes to Somaliland, despite it being less than a third of the population. So in a lot of ways, like the people who leave Somaliland, like they're making more money, more money is going to Somaliland than Somalia through that. And yeah, I'm sure Somalia feels slighted by that. Um, but that's just Somaliland, I think, being a little bit more successful in that avenue. I don't know if I answered your question there. I don't feel like I did. Not really. It was... It was Okay, I guess what I was just trying to say is that you definitely feel for the Somali landers and why, and and empathize with their struggle. Yeah. But we but we haven't taken the time to understand it from the Somalian um, perspective. So I would just want to add that caveat to say that uh, if if you look at any independence in the world, 
and you don't look at the the other arguments for it, I'm sure it's quite easy to persuade people. And based That's... on your index, uh, like Somalia, clearly, like they they're a lot less peaceful. They might need that income in order to like kind of become more peaceful more than Somaliland does. But again, like Somalia, it's easy for them to get foreign funding um, versus Somaliland because they are an actual nation. Yep. So coming back to peace, like we described Somaliland, we described like certain aspects of how it's peaceful. Um, are there other things that you want to talk about in regards to why is Somaliland peaceful? So I guess the key point, I, I, actually why it is peaceful is going back to where I said it's all about that trust and that representation where we took that example with Germany. Um, this comes up from the bottom up grassroots community engagement as in um, a lot of disputes were um, negotiated, I guess, or reached an accord through... They had reconciliation uh, conferences, basically. Yeah, between clans and clan elders. Um, and the reason why they do that is because that's that's who the people actually respect and trust. They didn't trust this system. It's hard to explain because we grew up in a system where the government and the police are what they are and and they are a point of trust for us in many ways but in this society and community their clan elders were the point of trust not mm -hmm. the setup of the government and therefore by integrating the clan elders into the politics from the bottom up to build that trust from the bottom up that's why it's like a grassroots engagement is because the people they learn to trust their elder or their clan elder above them, their sub-clan elder who trusts their clan elder, who trusts their politician, who can then trust their government representative, for example. And then it gives the whole chain this level of trust, which will foster the peace because it means you as an individual would feel represented. Whereas that may not be the case in a lot of other countries where a government's put in, but there's no gap from the elected official to the individual and, and that's where Somaliland has done uh, a fantastic uh, job and a very unique way of doing it as well they're the only real way um, that's been done like this and hopefully it will inspire more nations to to build up from a grassroots engagement and it's not just grassroots you talk about how trust is something you gain over time which is very true right um, And they already had that trust within their clan system and within their um, their elders. And therefore, they didn't reinvent the wheel. They're not like, oh, we're going to like create this whole new government where everything's going to be perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, instead, they're, oh, we're going to take what we already have and then build it in together and have the clans work together. And part of it is, I think, uh, part of the success is the fact that the clans could come to... Um, uh, an accord altogether and a result of that is also the fact that Somaliland isn't gigantic um, there's only a few there's not many many clans um, like in a larger geographical area but the other part is like it's still impressive they were able to do this because this is a unique example within the world in that way yeah so I guess my my last thing to say on why is it peaceful is actually sort of the the final sort of proof that it's peaceful is that I went onto my government's website to find out um, 
what they would think of me going on holiday to Somalia and Somaliland. And it said, Somaliland is bad. This is, I'm going to paraphrase this. They obviously didn't say it like this, but they said, Somaliland is bad. Uh, the cities are slightly bad and don't even think about going to Somalia. So in Somaliland, it's not great. The cities in Somaliland are a bit better, but just don't even think about going to Somalia. Yeah, it's like, now, like don't yeah. go. We're also talking about a the government website that tells me to watch my pockets when I go to Europe. So just to tell you sort of like, saying this like bad doesn't mean it's it's it actually is bad. They do say there are places in Europe that are significantly higher on the peace index that they would still write, be careful. And, well, yeah. you should watch your pockets in Europe. It's good advice. Or you should have some sort of way to hold things that make it harder to take. Yeah. Cool. So that is a wrap on episode number 17. Why is Somaliland peaceful? Yes, and don't forget to subscribe to our Twitstagram at Podcast Wise the World. And we have a new platform. Hey, and our new platform is, drumroll, TikTok. Yay, we're now down with the kids. <laughs> we are the kids, Miles. <laughs> um, what the, what, what's our handle on that? Is it the same? Uh, it's at Podcast Wise the World, keeping it. Keeping it unique. So now do we have to make it to Instagram talk? I mean, if you want to, yes, we, we can try that. I mean, yeah, to be honest, I'm not very good at um, managing the Twitter side of it. So I've left that up to Sevi, so nothing's been done. And uh, yeah, so make sure you follow Instagram yeah. first, then check out the TikTok. We're going to be posting up some behind the scenes stuff on uh, the TikTok as well. And if you found us through TikTok, welcome. Same with Twitter and Instagram. Um, but the best thing you can do is subscribe on your app of choice um, so you guys get every new episode and can listen in. So as they yeah. say in uh, Somaliland, Did you just forget where we were doing this? You're saying something different. I was saying that. Yeah, no, no. It was because you said uh, you had trouble thinking about Somaliland. So I was just a bit worried that you just forgotten the whole recording that we've just done. Anyway, I'll see you in the next episode. Wadian. Wadian. <laughs>